I'm very thankful for your presence tonight. We hope and pray that our worship tonight will be beneficial to you. Our, our intent is to worship God in spirit and in truth, and we're very grateful for the encouragement that we gain from being together as Christians. And tonight, we're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture, and the theme of our lesson tonight is a lesson that I think is needed, and it's a lesson that maybe you've thought about in the past. And the title of our lesson tonight is America Too Big to Fall. Interesting question, a question that we need to address. And as we think about this question, I want to begin by saying that I love America, and I feel privileged to be a citizen in this country, and I know that you feel the same way. It is a tremendous blessing to be a part of this country. And I think about how God has so richly blessed our country. And God has lavished upon this country great, great blessings, and we are prosperous in so many ways. And yet, in reality, we've got our troubles, we've got our faults, and we understand that we're not where we used to be, we're not where we ought to be. And so, again, the question, is America too big to fall? As we think about that question, I want to begin by reading to you a statement made by Wayne Jackson some years ago in which he talks about the future of our nation. He said, I really don't know where I fall in my perspective of our future. In the divine orchestration of earthly affairs, I am supremely confident. I know that the sovereign creator of the universe will eventually bring his divine plan to fruition. The major lesson of the book of Revelation is this. The cause of heaven will be triumphant ultimately. Victory will belong to the faithful because the Lamb of God has overcome by virtue of his death and resurrection. And all who stand in opposition to the King of Kings will be vanquished. What makes America labor under the illusion that she is an eternal empire? This country is on a collision course with oblivion. It likely will not come in our day, but the indications are painfully obvious that serious decay is underway. Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Rome, none of these superpowers lasted more than a few centuries. Decadence consumed them, and there are clear signals the same weaknesses are eating away at America's vitals. I think he's right. And sadly, the nation that we love and appreciate, the, the nation that we call home, is not what it used to be. I think about in my lifetime how much things have changed. And I suspect that you would concur that in your lifetime, whether young or old, that you have seen many, many changes. Some changes, yes, for good. Have we been blessed in many, many ways, technologically, scientifically, medically? The answer is yes. How blessed we have been. But then you think about the decadence and the fact that erosion is taking place morally in our country. And you ask the question sometimes, 
Where will it all stop? I mean, at some point, will we say, enough is enough, we need to change? In our lesson tonight, I want us to begin by, first of all, looking at the past. There are a couple of things that I want to share with you in our study tonight as we think about this vital question, is America too big to fall? And I want to begin by citing the authority of God. Whenever we talk about the nations that, here are, that are here upon earth, we need to understand that all nations are ultimately under the rule of God. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 22 in verse 28, that God is the ruler of the nations. So God is sovereign. He is over all. He is above all. The Bible tells us, going all the way back to Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17, God said through the prophet, I remove kings and I set up kings. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 32, the prophet said that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. And so we understand from these passages of Scripture that God is indeed over all. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, but all rise and fall under the watchful eye of Almighty God. And then there's a passage found in the New Testament in Acts chapter 17. In verse 26, the Bible speaks, really the Bible relates unto us Paul's great sermon on Mars Hill. And you remember as Paul stood in Athens, the Bible says that his heart was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. And so on that occasion, Paul had the opportunity to preach about the one true living God. And Paul would say in his sermon to those people in that day that God has made of one blood, that is, God has made out of one all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. He has pre-appointed their times and the bounds of their habitation. In other words, nations rise and fall at the behest of God, do they not? And then with regard to their habitation, God is responsible for the conquest of nations. And so, Paul here simply points that out. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John in the Revelation said that Jesus Christ is the ruler over the kings of the earth. And all John is saying, and when John wrote the Revelation, Domitian was on the throne. The time was about A.D. 95 or 96, and the Christians in that day and time, they were being persecuted and hounded. Many of those Christians had been martyred. Some would, some would ultimately be martyred for the cause of Christ. And John is writing in the Revelation, and he's saying ultimately that God's people, God's kingdom, will win, it will reign. But... He pointed out, even though Domitian is on his throne, there's somebody above him. That somebody is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we think about the authority of God. But there's another thing I want you to consider with me, if you would. And really, this is what I would call a cautionary reminder. You know, there are times in life when we need to be cautioned, don't we? Yellow lights signify to us what? Caution. Well, in our day and time, when we go back and look at the Old Testament, when we look at Scripture, the lights are blinking. 
And there are words of caution emanating from scriptures. Now, look back at the Old Testament. And sometimes we ask the question, what's the value in studying the Old Testament? Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 4? That whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So we can look back to the Old Testament. One of the benefits of looking back and reading the Old Testament is history. We can see the successes of people. We can see the successes of nations. The flip side of that is we can also see their failures. So what about accountability to God? I think all of us would agree that God holds each and every person accountable. We are all accountable before God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. You and I one day have a date with destiny. We will bow in the presence of Almighty God. We will acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord of all to the glory of God. And so one day we will all stand before the supreme judge of heaven and earth. And by the way, Jesus said in John chapter 5 and about verse 27 that the Father has committed judgment into his hands. He's given him authority to judge the world. So what about nations? Does God turn a blind eye to the acts of nations? We said a moment ago that nations rise and fall at the behest of Almighty God. So what about not just individual accountability to God, but national accountability to God? Let me just cite for you some examples. I want to begin by going all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 15. In this text, God is speaking to Abraham. God is telling Abraham that through his lineage, through his ancestors, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God would bless his posterity through the seed of Christ. But God talked about how his people, that would be the Hebrew nation, they would be captive in a foreign land for over 400 years. Ultimately, he said, they will come out of that foreign land. And they would displace a nation of people, the Amorites. But God said with regard to the Amorites, when he spoke to Abraham, their iniquity was not yet full or complete. Suggesting that there is a threshold at which point in time God will deal effectively with nations. Now, a little bit later, well, really, we could back up. And I think about it in Genesis chapter 13. You remember when Abraham and Lot had a disagreement over some issues among, well, really, their herdsmen had some disagreements. So Abraham told Lot, look, the whole land is before us. You choose the, the portion or parcel of land that you want. Whatever direction you go, I'll go the opposite direction. And so the Bible tells us that Lot chose the well-watered plains of the Jordan. And what he ultimately chose was not necessarily a good thing because the land or 
the place that he chose was inhabited by sinful or wicked people. That's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 13, verse 13, in talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful before the Lord. So a little bit later, Genesis chapter 18, you remember God came before Abraham. And God told him that he would ultimately hold Sodom and Gomorrah accountable for their sinful actions. Now sometimes we ask the question, well, what's the relevance of Sodom and Gomorrah to us? Let me just ask you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to read this with me because I think it's significant in light of what we're talking about and the relevance of our discussion at hand. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, here's what Peter said in the long ago, that God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them to destruction. Now note, he made them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Now, what are you saying, Peter? What Peter is saying is that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah stand as a monument in time to all who choose to live ungodly. Let me call attention to another account in Scripture. I think about the Ninevites. You remember Jonah, that great prophet of God? Jonah was called upon to go and to preach to the Ninevite people. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, their wickedness has come up before me. Initially, Jonah was hesitant to go and to preach to the Ninevite people. He later made the decision to go and to preach that solemn message. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the Bible tells us in Jonah chapter 3 that the people in that day and time, they repented, didn't they? And when God saw their penitent hearts, he decreed that he would not destroy them. A little later in time, about a hundred years later, do you know what happened? God raised up a prophet by the name of Nahum. In Nahum chapter 1 verse 8, Nahum was raised up by Almighty God to declare the utter end of the Ninevite people. Nineveh was, was the capital of Assyria. And we talk about the Assyrian nation and what a great and powerful nation of people they were. They were bloodthirsty ungodly, and God dealt with them. Let me give you another example. Let's think about the southern kingdom. Well, let me back up first. Let me talk about the Edomites for a minute. In the book of Obadiah, the one chapter, Obadiah has been called upon by Almighty God to go and to declare judgment upon the Edomite people. The Edomites had been the perpetual enemies of, of God's people, that is, the children of Israel. When God's people were carried into Babylonian captivity, Judah, when they were carried into captivity, the psalmist said in Psalm 137, 7, that the response of the Edomite people, raise it, raise it. In other words, destroy them. Bring them to their knees. And so here's what God said to the Edomite people through the prophet Obadiah. Note if you would verse 1. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us rise up against her, 
for battle. Now look at verse 2. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Now note verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. The people were perched in the loftiest city of Petra. Historians state that their granite cliffs were some 15 to 20 miles wide, rising 2,000 feet in height. And so the prophet here is saying, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say, who will bring me down to the ground? Now look at verse 4. God said through the prophet in the long ago, though you exalt yourself as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. They thought they were something. They thought there is absolutely no way that anyone can bring us down. And God said, let me tell you what, I'll bring you down, brother. And that's exactly what he did. Let me give you another example. I mentioned the southern kingdom of Judah. Look, if you would, at the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet who cried out in the long ago concerning the spiritual destitution of his own people. In Habakkuk chapter 1, the book begins with these words, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. What Habakkuk saw, what God revealed unto him through prophecy was a tremendous burden because ultimately it would affect his own people. In verse 2, listen to, what, listen to what Habakkuk asked. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? Now, here's what Habakkuk said concerning his people. He's concerned because of the spiritual destitution of his own countrymen for plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises, therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the, the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. You know, sometimes we look around and we wonder about the state of our nation. We talk about the decadence, the moral erosion, the fact that we're living in a country that has slipped in so many, many ways. And so we, like the prophet of old, feel burdened. So here's what God said to the prophet in the long ago, verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. He's talking about Babylon. And God is saying through the prophet, I'm going to raise up the Babylonian people. And here's what you need to understand. The Babylonians are coming. And when they come, they're going to carry the southern kingdom into 70 years of captivity. And that's what Jeremiah said in his book. He said, I'm ra raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and, and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards. 
and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set for the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princesses are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up mounds of earth and seize it. Now you can read the Old Testament. God sent the northern kingdom into Assyrian captivity about 100 years earlier, about 722, 721 B.C., A little over 100 years later, beginning in about 605 B.C., the the Babylonians came in. And the prophet Habakkuk, the prophet Jeremiah and others, they warned God's people about impending destruction. Jeremiah said, in the long ago, my people have forgotten me days without number, speaking on behalf of God, how the very covenant people of God had forgotten him. And he said, let me tell you what, you're going into captivity for 70 years. There were false prophets in in that day and time. And they were saying, peace, peace. And Jeremiah said in the long ago, there is no peace. If only they had listened. They did go into captivity. And God spared a remnant of those people in order to bring the Messiah into the world, the Son of God. And God accomplished His purpose. Now, later in time, first century, you remember the Jews were antagonistic to the teaching of Jesus, weren't they? Jesus, according to John, came to His own. His own received Him not. Many of the Jews were receptive to the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, and then others disbelieved, hounded Him mercilessly ultimately had him put to death. Well, in about A.D. 70, the Jewish nation as a whole was judged by Almighty God, completely destroyed. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus talks in a very candid and blunt way about the fate of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. As a matter of fact, he said in verse 2, One stone would not be left upon another. God completely and utterly destroyed the Jewish nation, didn't He? So, a word of caution as we think about the present. So let's talk about the present now. And we're asking the question. And as I said a minute ago, I believe that the question is relevant. Is America too big to fall? I'm sure that there are many people in our world today, there are many people that live in in this great country that would say there is absolutely no way that we as a nation of people could ever fall. Well, my response would be, think again. You know, the Edomites thought they were something So what about the facts? When you begin to look at our nation as a whole, quite frankly, it's not a pretty picture, is it? I I guess when I look at our nation and I see the cataclysmic changes that occurred and as I contemplate the future of our nation, I wonder what kind of nation 
will this be for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? What will America be like in 50 years? What will it be like in 100 years? What's it like right now? First, let's talk about our economic irresponsibility. Now, we talk about the economy. And most people in our country, if you want to know the plain truth of the matter, all they're concerned about is our economy. I mean, that's, that's how they vote. That's what they think about. That's what pushes them day to day. And I understand, look, the economy is an important part of our nation. Did you know that we are, tw that we are $22 trillion in debt? Unprecedented debt in this country. Do you know how long it would take to spend a trillion dollars? If I recall correctly, someone would have to spend one dollar per second every single hour of every single day for 32,000 years. And we're in debt 22 trillion dollars? Do you remember the psalmist said in Psalm 37, in verse 22, the wicked borrows and does not repay. I've got a question for all of us tonight. At what point in time will we break financially? Think about some of the major corporations in our country. Think about Think about your own business if you are a business owner. How long can you operate in the red? How long can you keep your doors open in the red? Years ago, I had a friend of mine tell me, he said, if your heat is on in your home and the door's open, here's the question. How long will you leave the door open? I know the answer. You're going to shut it quickly, aren't you? So, we're bleeding red daily in this country. And I know that we're printing money like who knows what. But at what point will we break financially? What if China were to call her debts today? You ever thought about how this country is literally being eaten up by foreign, by foreign businesses. Economically, we are in a lot of trouble. And that is a fact. And I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, the facts are the facts. And somebody needs to wake these guys up in Washington and tell them, at some point in time, the door needs to close, doesn't it? I mean, at some point in time, is it not just a fact? You can't keep spending money you don't have. Can't live on credit forever. Crime. Look at the soaring crime rates in our country. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about how evil men grow worse and worse. Some of the things that are going on in our country today by way of crime, 
astounding. The muggings, the carjackings, the rape, the pillaging. I mean, look at our nation. What has happened to us, morally speaking? We, we no longer regard human life as something to be treasured. I mean, you look at our country, and you turn on the television every single night, watch the local news, the national news, and it is day after day, month after month, it is negative, isn't it? The crime, out of sight. And here's the sad part, we've got to live around it. We live in a nation where people do not respect the rights of other people. They do not respect the property of other people. And where did it all, where did it all go wrong? Is it possible that as a nation of people who at one time claimed to be God-fearing, Bible-believing people, that we no longer need God, we don't need His Word, and so as a result of that, we're reaping the whirlwind, are we not? I have cited Hosea chapter 4 I don't know how many times. And the reason I cite Hosea chapter 4 because it is a mirror image of 21st century civilization. Hosea the prophet said in the long ago, there is no truth nor mercy nor knowledge of God in the land. As a result of that, here's what he said. There is swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery. He said they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. Why, pray tell, do you think these people were engaging in ungodly activities? I can tell you why. Because they abdicated the Word of God from their lives. As a result of that, chaos ensued. You want to know why we have people that lie today, that cheat, that kill, that engage in any number of atrocities because they do not have God in their lives and they don't have His Word in their lives. It's as simple as that. The prophet said, we've sown to the wind, and he said, we'll reap the whirlwind. And you think about what he said in Hosea chapter 8, verse 12. God through the prophet said, I've given unto them the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. In our day and time, Scripture has become foreign to many people, has it not? I mean, you, you stand up in our country today and say, you know what God said, and people say, whoa, wait a minute. There you go talking about God again. Can't do that. You can talk about Muhammad, but you can't talk about God. How's that? So we talk about crime in America. Biblical illiteracy. I cited a moment ago Hosea chapter 4. Let me tell you what we need in our country tonight. We need a healthy dose of righteousness. That's what we need. You remember what Solomon said, Proverbs chapter 14? Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. If righteousness elevates a nation, then sin will absolutely bring it to its knees, will it not? Yes, it will. That's what, the, that's what Solomon said in the long ago. Solomon went on to say, where there is no vision, the people perish. He's not talking about being a visionary, as we think about. But he's talking about where there is no divine revelation, the people perish. Look, when we say no to God and His Word, when we say we don't need His Word in our lives, we are saying, ultimately, bring it on. Bring destruction on. That's where we're headed. 
Do you remember Timothy? Timothy is a great example to America today. His mother, his grandmother. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he talked about the genuine faith that dwelt first, he said, in his grandmother Lois. And then he said, in his mother Eunice. And then he said, and I am persuaded is in you also. That wasn't by accident, was it? How did Timothy become a child of faith? Listen to him, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And that from a baby, from infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Do you know what we need today in America? We need young people that have a healthy respect for the Word of God. Where does that begin? It begins with mamas and daddies sitting down and saying, look, this is what we call the Bible, the Holy Word of God. God's Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway. The psalmist said, through your word I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. How are we going to be able to discern between that which is right and wrong, truth and error without this book? The bottom line is we can't. We can't. Do you know why we're floundering as a nation of people? Because we don't know anything about the Bible anymore. We really don't. And let me tell you what, if you think, if you think our nation in general doesn't know anything about the Bible, well, let me tell you what, there are a lot of folks in the church that don't know much about the Bible either. We are devoid of spiritual knowledge in the church. And if we don't know the truth, how in the world are we going to, have, how in the world are we going to make a difference in this nation? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. America is a nation. We have the responsibility of teaching and preaching this nation. But we can't sow what we don't know. If you don't know the word of God, how in the world are you going to tell somebody about Jesus? We got a lot of changes need to be made, don't we? So think about it. In America, economic irresponsibility, crime, biblical illiteracy, moral confusion. The prophet Isaiah said in the long ago, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Do we not have people today who are morally confused? I mean, you talk about morally confused. When somebody tells me, that it is permissible for two men to be married or two women to be married, then my response is, that's moral confusion. And don't tell me people in our country haven't bought in to legislation. There are people from Washington on down who've given the green light to homosexual marriage. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Marriage, biblically defined. One man, one woman for life. Now look, God's the creator and since God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and since God is our creator, He has the right to legislate what qualifies as marriage, does He not? So when we talk about right and wrong, remember what I said about Hosea chapter 8, verse 12, I've given unto them the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Talk to somebody today. Just talk to somebody on the street and ask them, do you have a problem with homosexual marriage? And they'll say, nope. And some of those very people are religious people. Look, we love all people. 
And we love people who are caught up in homosexuality. But what we want to do is teach them to honor the Word of God. But we've got to be willing to teach. And then what about abortion? Over 60 million babies aborted in this country. Do you remember what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 6? The Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. Has that changed? I mean, can you imagine a nation that sanctions the termination of human life? We don't have a problem with it in this nation. The Supreme Court said it's okay beginning in 1973. Since 1973, over 60 million babies have been aborted in this country and the clock continues to run. So I've got a question. How do you think God feels about that? How do you think God feels about the shedding of innocent blood? And to think that there are people today that are stone-faced when you talk about aborting human life? Well, it's later than you think it is. The home, our time's gone. The home. Man, the home in America today is a sad, sad portrait. Mamas and daddies divorcing. Husbands and wives daily getting into domestic disputes, many times resulting in jail time. I mean, you look at our nation, and the very fiber of our nation is being destroyed. That's a home. What is it we say as a home goes, so goes the nation? The reason our nation is in trouble is because the home is in trouble. God laid the blueprint out for the home. The home is intended to be a blessing to the human family. Boy, I tell you what, there are a lot of homes tonight. It's not a blessing to go home. It's a sad picture. And then we have what I call the pseudo-intellectuals. We've got some people in intellectual circles that are selling a, bit of a bill of goods that is false to the core. And by that I mean they tell you that you are the product of evolution. And they're teaching that in our schools, in our universities. And they're telling you that you are the product of chance. The world is a product of chance. That's a lie. And we wonder why we no longer respect the sanctity of human life. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 when he characterized the Gentile world? He said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We have a lot of folks that have been blessed with higher education. But it hasn't helped them. It's hurt them. It has destroyed their faith in God. It has destroyed their faith in the Word of God. Very quickly, the fate of our nation. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know what, we do know the one who holds the future. I want to read very quickly two quotes. The first is by Stan Mitchell. Stan died just recently. But here's what he wrote. Nations rise and fall. 
When I was a child, I lived in southern Rhodesia, part of the British Empire. The picture of a youthful Queen Elizabeth II was on our coins. But he said the British Empire, as you know, is no more. Two nations emerged as rivals, the Soviet Union and the United States. They grappled with each other in what became known as the Cold War. It is fair to say that the United States emerged the victor in that struggle. It's also true to say that she is still the world's superpower. The reader, however, will probably surmise that another kingdom is on the rise, the nation of China. All these empires have arisen within the span of my lifetime. Nations rise and nations fall at the behest of the Lord God Almighty. He might or might not continue to bless the United States. I believe he cares whether the United States is righteous. He is more than capable of causing the nation to fall. Or he could await the judgment day to make our rulers face their responsibilities. This statement is true for all nations of the world. Dictators, unjust judges, those who use their influence to promote evil and condemn righteousness will face their maker. What God has done, He can do again. Nations that promote sin, even nations as powerful as the United States, will be one with Nineveh and Tyre. And then one final quotation. Brother Wayne Jackson writes, Do nations turn around once they have started to slide toward moral chaos? Tragically, they almost never do. Not even the great nation of Israel could be salvaged by the persuasion of the prophets. It took an Assyrian conquest and a Babylonian captivity of 70 years to bring the Hebrews to their knees. Even then, a terminal judgment finally came in the form of the Roman destruction of Judaism in AD 70. I am certainly no prophet. I do not know what lies in America's future. I can, however, follow the flow of human history as such is revealed in the Scriptures. And what, I see in, and what I see in that does not make me comfortable about our nation's prospects. Sobering indeed. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge you as the sovereign ruler of the world. And Father, we pray for our nation. And we pray that as individual Christians, that we will seek to the best of our ability to be salt and light in this nation. Help us to use our influence to turn the moral tide in this country. Help us to be a voice for righteousness. And Father, forgive us when we have failed. And we pray that you would give us strength and courage and boldness to stand up and to speak out with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight as we close, I'm going to let you answer the question, is America too big to fall? I think you know the answer. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. We're here tonight because we believe in God. We believe in His Son. We want to live for Him day in and day out. And we, want to be a, we want to be an influence for good in this world and in this nation. What would you need to do? Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Willingly walk away from a life of sin through repentance. 
Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32, and be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. If you're here tonight and you need the prayers of the church, we'd like to invite you. Please come, let us pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.